So we are with Tim. How would you pronounce your last name? It's not Booger. Booker. Booker, like a K. Booker, yes. but it's not spelt with a K. No, it is not. So t tell us what your job title is, because the Americans have big, long titles. But we do have big, long titles. I serve as the Billy Graham Professor of Evangelism and is the Associate Dean of the Billy Graham School of Missions, Evangelism, and Ministry. I have very large business cards. Wow, and is that written on a plaque somewhere on a desk? Yes, it is. Is it, seriously, it is. the whole thing? The whole how long thing. is the plaque, about four foot? Uh, oh, you don't do two feed, and a half. Do you? Yes, yeah, we do feed. So how long have you been there? 23 years. So that this is Southern Seminary, right? That's correct. Which is, got about 4,000 students? 5,000. Has it? Not, not that anyone's counting. On campus? No. Uh, 5,000 total students, many of those are online. I think around 2,200 or 2,300 students on campus. And do you count Boise in those students, or is that a separate school? Uh, that's separate school. So it's not connected in any way to Southern? It is connected. Same president, Dr. Moeller's president of both, same board of trustees, same provost. Okay. Uh, Boyce is the undergrad side where Southern is the graduate side. So what does that mean, undergrad? The thick uh, ones. So the, you, the thick ones go there, and the smart ones go to the to No, an undergrad is, is simply what you would call university. It's, it's our college program. Okay. And where so graduates mainly MAs and doctorates, is that right? Uh, MAs, MDiv is our, our biggest program, Master of Divinity. And then we also have uh, Doctor of Ministry, Doctor of Missiology, and PhDs. And you're a Doctor of? Philosophy. And um, you're also a pastor of a little church, right? I am, West Broadway Baptist Church. It's a church revitalization. When did you take that on? About eight years ago. And how's it doing? It's doing well, uh, by God's grace. And are you, how near the campus are you? We're about 12 minutes from campus. Oh, close. So, so Tim is good. Number one, he's on the campus. Number two, he's looking after Kezia, my daughter, when she's in Boyce. And number three, he's had four grown-up daughters of his own. And number five, which is the most important point, you own a variety of firearms. I do. So in yeah. any young men that yeah. mess with Kezia... And particularly want her to avoid homeschooled and collecting dudes called Randy. So if any of those come knocking on the door... Whip the old pistols out, sir. Yeah. Not not all homeschool people are not normal. Some okay. are very normal. Okay. Do they go, any of them go to Boyce? Yes. Okay, cool. Yes. Do you know any normal homeschool kids? Don't you? <laughs> Pretty much, I would reckon about 90% of the dudes who visit us from overseas would be homeschooled. Because they, 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 they love it when I give them a dig about homeschooling. Yeah. And actually, some of my best friends homeschool their kids. Yes. So they're going to give me grief as well. Right. Uh, okay, so I usually offend either homeschoolers or Presbyterians okay. in this sort of chat. Well, we, we, I'll be happy to offend Presbyterians That's with cool. you. And uh, you've got to tell that's a joke because Presbyterians, some of them don't have a sense of humor. All right, Doc, so you... Do, do you um, know the difference between a uh, Presbyterian elder and a Baptist deacon? No. Okay. Is this going to be a granddad joke? No. Okay, go on. No. Uh, there was a farmer who was selling his cow had stopped giving milk. Man came to buy it, said, does this cow give milk? He lied and said, yes, it does. You can trust me. I'm a Baptist deacon. Man said, okay, I'll, I'll buy your cow, but I don't have the money with me now. Can I take the cow and bring you the money tomorrow? You can trust me. I'm a Presbyterian elder. So the man agreed, went back into the house, said, we sold the cow, but I have a question for you. What's a Presbyterian elder? 
His wife said, oh, about the same thing as a Baptist deacon. He said, we've lost our cow. He's laughing, but I don't get that. John, do you get that joke? <laughs> no, John gets the joke. He doesn't get the joke. That there, ladies and gentlemen, that's what you learn at Southern. That sort of joke. Anyway. Some just... people have a more sophisticated sense of humor than I just you do. It's just over my head, son. Right, so I'm going to tell Lig Duncan the joke, Dan, see if he laughs. We'll see if he gets it. He will get it. Um, so, who do you think would win in a 100 meters dash between Al Mola, Lig Duncan, and Matt Dever? Give me a one, two, three on that. Uh, I'm going to go reverse order. I'm going to go Dever, Duncan, Moeller. You think Moeller would win? No. Oh, no, so he would think, come in third. You think Dever would win? I think Dever would He's win. He's got a massive head to carry, by the way. He does. He might win by a head. He would win by a head. He would lean at the tape and, and yeah, edge I, out. I can see that. I can see that. What do you think? John, mind you, Lig's a big lad. He, he might stride it out. Uh, he might. And Dr. Moeller's, well, he's, he's very tall, but he's not an athlete. Let me ask you a question, because you're dead respectful all the time, which I appreciate about you. So do you call him Dr. Moeller all the time, or do you call him Big Al in private? Uh, I don't use the phrase Big Al. I do call him Al. Does anyone no, but, use the phrase Big Al? Um, probably none of our faculty. Okay. Do you have a nickname for him in private that no one knows? We won't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dr. Moeller. Yeah. He's a brain, right? He, he is brilliant. And so, so you weren't then, the early, his early years were brutal, I hear, right? Well, Protests I, I was actually and... one of his first hires. Uh, he came in 93, I was hired in 95. And had all the demonstrations stopped by then? M most of them had, although we still had several students and some faculty from the old guard that were not happy with how things were going on. And is that because it wasn't, um, I mean, I, I don't know, I just heard snippets like it was, wasn't as theologically rigorous as perhaps it is now back then. Well, uh, the, the old regime would say they were theologically rigorous. It was just liberal theology. Right. Uh, and they, he rescued it. He, he did, which really is one of the m most remarkable turnarounds in theological education. Most schools drift to the left. They don't ever drift to the right. Yeah. They, they have to be brought back uh, to the why, right. Why do you think the left and right terminology now, because it means different things in the U.S. and okay. the U.K., why do you think who wonder what the, the root is of drifting to the right to mean orthodoxology, drifting to, drifting to the left to mean liberal. I wonder who first coined, do you understand what I mean? Why isn't orthodoxy yeah. drifting to the left? Yeah. I and don't know. Heresy drifting to the right. I don't know. Uh, in their scripture that talks about the wise inclines his heart to the right. Is that right? Is that yeah. where you think it comes from? Is uh, it? I, I, I don't know. Stretching Possibly. Back. We'll, take, we'll yeah. take it, Doc. That wouldn't be the first verse taken out of context. No. So. You were talking last night when we were having a barbie at my gaff, and you just mentioned in passing that Jim Packer was a was your PhD boss or whatever you call uh, it. Supervisor, yes. Um, and I thought, well, I'll tell my I'll tell my Jim. I've never told my Jim Packer story ever on one of these gigs. So I, when I first got converted, I mean, I was a bit of a rough lad, if, if you can believe that. Were you rough? So I was straight out of maximum security jail. Within nine months, I was at Bible College. Okay. We won't even talk about how I got there. It was a providential turn of events. I, I, I got accidentally offered a place a year before the, I should have done because of a typo. And so when I turned up, that they couldn't couldn't say no because I had a letter. Anyway, so I was basically rough. What was the typo? 
the wrong date. Okay. So they should have put it a year later. Okay. Um, and so I turned up like not long out of prison. Mm -hmm. Never read a Bible before I got converted. So it was rough, but I thought I'm going to go to Bible college and learn about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And uh, my first few months there were a bit rough. And um, this old geezer turned up to speak. And I mean geezer in the, the uh, UK uh, term. The affinitive, yeah, the, a, the a, affectionate sense. A good yes. lad. And my tutor was really good friends with Jim Packer. Bear mm -hmm. in mind, I didn't know him. I didn't even know who um, Billy Graham was. Okay. Right? Until someone, like, until my second or third year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this old fellow turns up, and apparently he likes steam trains, this Jim. He does, very much so. And my tutor, we, he was, we were down in Bournemouth at the time. He was going to give some lectures on um, his book, Knowing God. And um, he turns up at the college, and my, I was having a rough time. And my tutor said, well, why don't you come out with me and this old fella? Well, he's going to go on a steam train and that. And I'm like, can't think of anything more boring in my life. But anyway, we, I went on a steam train with this old dude. Then we went for, to the pub for a pint. Mm -hmm. He had a pint of cider and I had a Guinness, and then we had a chat. And then afterwards, I got back to the, the college. Thought nothing of it. I thought, he's a nice old fella, good old mm -hmm. stick. And I got back, and then people were saying, oh, how was it? And I'm like, it's all right. He's an old... And they were going, oh, he's like one of the... I didn't find out to like he's one of the, you know, great theological thinking minds. He is. And um, I'm like, he was just an old geezer who had a pint in the pub with me. Mm -hmm. But then the really cool thing was, about 18 months after that, I, I married Miriam, my wife, who you've met, and he sent us a telegram for our wedding and said, oh, I just wanted to, uh, uh, literally uh, a telegram as well. Google that, young people. And um, just saying, really remember the time we hung out together and all the best for you. Yes, for that, that does not surprise me about him. So he was a nice old boy. Yes. And I remember, I asked him a question. I said, what, what advice have you got for me as a young geezer starting out? And he just said, Find a theological tribe you belong to and stick with them. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a clue what he talked, was talking about mm -hmm. until 20 years later. You know, Did you find that tribe? At the time, yeah. Pretty. How would you describe your tribe? Um, it depends. I, I, I personally am a Reformed Baptist, mm -hmm. but my tribe just annoy me. And so I like to annoy them as much as possible. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't, But if I had to pick a tribe, I would definitely be a Reformed Baptist, but I'm not Reformed enough. For some Reformed Baptists, right. I'm not Baptist enough for some Baptists, and I'm friends with too many um, Presbyterians. For some, Prior to this interview. For some people. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I've, I've said worse things about um, Presbyterians, haven't I, John? Then I got some Presbyterians on, by the way, one of them, and said, oh, just attack Baptists for the hour, and they did that. Right, right. Happily. So I'm an equal opportunities offender. Anyway, that's my, that's my sad Jim story. But uh, he, t he taught you. Now, was I right in saying, because you said philosophy for your PhD, that one of your specialist topics was the Puritan. Yes, the, what we call the PhD is a doctor of philosophy, but my area of study was not philosophy, but historical theology. And, uh, any particular Puritans or the whole crew of them? Uh, fairly much the whole crew, but zeroed in specifically on Richard Baxter. That's who I wrote my dissertation on. Yeah, That's cool. who Packer had written his doctoral thesis on at Oxford. And so what did you write about Richard Baxter that hasn't already been written? I focused on his theology of conversion and practice of evangelism. Was it decent? It was very decent. It's been published by Christian Focus. I've never seen it. I've read the Reformed Pastor, obviously. Yes. Tell me, were the Puritans racist? Um, racist in what sense? Well, they didn't like black people. They were all slaveholders. 
I mean, I've got friends. Are you talking about English Puritans, so here's where we'll American go Puritans? I got friends who are woke, black right. friends who are very woke. Mm -hmm. I got white friends who are very asleep. And then most of my friends are sort of dozing off in the middle a bit mm -hmm. on, on this whole debate. It seems very interesting to watch. I had a black friend of mine, Doug Logan, on recently, right. and we talked about this. Um, and it, it's interesting when you use the term woke in the US, almost exclusively it seems to be about race. It is. Whereas here, I was just reading an article today on wokeness at Cambridge University, it's about gender identity. Interesting. And so it seems to be a very weird American thing. And one of the things I read and I thought, one of the things that Doug, one of the questions I asked Doug was, was Martin uh, Luther King a Christian? Mm -hmm. Because his theology was right. completely inerrant. Right. No, no, inerrant, sorry, not right, inerrant. Right. And he said, well, yeah, he was. He was, yeah. he was a Christian. He, he was just wasn't allowed to go to a decent uh, seminary because he was black, etc. Right. And he said, also, the Puritans tend to get a pass for some of their deviant behaviors and belief systems, particularly mm -hmm. around slavery, from white evangelicals. They're products of their time. They're people of their historical moment, whereas black mm -hmm. authors, particularly Martin mm -hmm. King, doesn't. And I thought well, that's an interesting point. Yeah. I, I, no, I, I think that is an interesting point. And I do think, uh, yes, you, you look at, for example, some of the biographies of Whitfield. There, there's no mention of slavery or the fact that he owned slaves. But he did later in his life, right? He, he did later in his life, yes. So he, he started off, I understand, I'm, I'm not speaking like your student who's trying to correct you because I don't know that much about him. <laughs> but my understanding with, with Whitfield is, that he was pretty anti-slavery. He was until he started earning a few quid, and then, yeah. you know, it's it's hard to know the motivations of the heart yeah, to yeah. know exactly what. But yes, he was uh, started out his ministry speaking very strongly against slavery. Ended up when he was in Georgia, uh, Bethesda there, the uh, the orphanage. Uh, they had slaves there, so uh, again, yes, some of the history of some of these individuals simply bypasses all of that. I think as a, as a Christian historian, we're called to treat the good, the bad, and the ugly in church history. And there's a lot of good, there's some bad, and there's, yes, even some ugly. We don't seem to hear a lot of the ugly of the Puritans, so, which is what my friends would say. Well, cer certainly in, in their own day in England, there was a lot of ugly. It didn't deal with the racism issue, but with other issues. But uh, some of that, and, and this again, Dr. Packer brings out in his, uh, his book on the Puritans, that there's been a whole lot of mudslinging against the Puritans that some of it wasn't really fair. But uh, were they racist, some of them? Well, so would uh, you say, so let me define it this yeah, way then. Yeah. I'm not defining it for black friends because I'm a little white guy from Ireland, but um, is owning slaves racist? If, they own, if, if that's how we term racism. Yeah, if, if that's how you term racism, absolutely. Do you think it was racist for them to own slaves? Yes. So yes. then most of them were racist? Yeah, even though, yes, they were products of their time, even though as Whitfield, you know, has been testified, treated them more as servants, so to speak, gracious, yes, they, they owned another human being. They, they were, uh, they owned slaves. And so, Shouldn't that affect, do you think that should put people off reading them? No, and, and here's the reason why. It's one of the things I tell my students, when we enter 
the gates of glory in heaven, we are not going to be met by a gauntlet of all the great theologians in the past. You aren't going to have Augustine, you know, bowing down before us, Calvin clapping, Luther giving us two thumbs up. He'd probably give you the feast, Luther. He might. Uh, we all are going to have some of our theology corrected in heaven. None of us are perfectly sanctified here. So uh, understanding the gospel gives us the freedom to be able to critique historical figures and understand they didn't get everything right. So we celebrate what they got right and they got much right. Uh, we also criticize what they got wrong and, and they got things wrong just as we do today. But are you speaking from white privilege, Doc? Oh, probably. So what is white privilege? Well, the, the way that it's defined in some circles in the States is because uh, I have grown up white, I just don't get it. I just, I'm not woke, I, I don't understand all these things uh, because uh, I've just, I was born into privilege, I was born white, I don't understand what it is to be black. Uh, so that, there, there's, again, like many things, there's an element of truth to that. We are products of our experience. Uh, we, we all uh, have a background and understanding, but the way some people take that is there is no way that you and I should even be having a discussion about race because we can't possibly get it because we're white. And what do you think about that? Uh, I think that taken to that extreme, uh, it ultimately undermines the gospel, uh, the power of Do you think race is a Marxist construct, the same as class? Um, it, it certainly has been uh, magnified in that sense. Uh, very clearly, if you think about class, or at least just thinking about it in economic terms, you see that throughout Scripture. You, you see the rich and the poor, right, James? Yeah, language of oppression. Yeah, so, so there's no question about that. As you think about, uh, you, you don't see that same comparison with race. Now, you do have the note, you know, Revelation 7, people from every tongue and tribe and nation, but the... Is that ethnicities? Is there a difference between race and ethnicity? Yes, yes, and, and that's what, so ultimately we do have, we, we celebrate that uh, God redeems people from every tongue and tribe and nation. But where a lot of the focus there, uh, I think in many instances there, there is a healthy component of this discussion and an unhealthy component. And the unhealthy component tends to be on the fringes on each side of this. And the challenge with that is sometimes the unhealthy conversation stifles some of the healthy conversation. So what's that? What's healthy? What's some of the healthy conversation? Well, the, the, the healthy conversation is to realize that um, because of America's history of racism there and, and ongoing issues. And not just to blacks, right? I mean, I'm Irish, to Irish as well, right? Th that's correct. Flipping heck. If anyone wants reparations, it's yeah. the Indians, right? The Native American yeah. Indians. Yes. Uh, and, you know, uh, going back, yes, it's, it's good that you're living in the era in which you are right now because back in the late 1800s, you, you and I would have been enemies, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Irish were not loved mm -hmm. uh, in the United States. So, and I've already gotten off track with the question. Repeat it. I'm just trying to... I got to thinking uh, about yeah. you being Irish and, and you and no, I I'm meeting on the streets whole, of New York yeah, City. This, the, this, uh, you're saying that like 
USA founded on racist print. I don't want to put no, words it, in your mouth. It wasn't, yeah. No, not, not, not founded there, but the whole issue of slavery and then uh, some of the aftermath of that, there are challenges. I, I have uh, a black son-in-law. My, my daughter Carissa is married to Malachi. And his experience of growing up in America was different than my experience of growing up in America in terms of being pulled over for a, a traffic stop. There are things like that. So, so there are elements of truth in, in some of the discussion today that, that are simply realities, but where some are wanting to carry that discussion are unhealthy. So do you think that discussions around reparations is unhealthy? I do. Why? I do. Uh, I don't know that you can really make a, a, a biblical case for that. And, and certainly from the practical standpoint, wh where does it end? How, how, do we, how do we determine uh, something that happened 150 years ago, how that's still affecting people today? Um, you know, you, the, those that advocate for it, when you start putting down exactly what is this gonna look like, it's, it's an absolute logistical nightmare. Everyone's been wronged in Have some way. Have you ever way. read any, like, Martin Luther, Martin Luther, Martin, Martin Luther King? Yeah, Martin Luther King, sorry. Uh, Every time I say MLK, I always think about Martin Lloyd Jones for some reason because it's MLJ. Right. So. They, they were different individuals. Yeah, very different. Yes. yes. Um, back uh, when I was in seminary, I read uh, some of James Cone, uh, black theologian. Okay. Good. Good guy. Um, he is one that a lot of the woke crowd is, is citing and following. Again, one that- So when you say woke crowd, are you using that term pejoratively? Um, mostly. So you, okay, because there's some good like- There, there is, and, and again, I've said there-, there Have you are read good Woke things. Church by Eric Mason? I have not, I have not. Again, there are good elements there. And again, the way that it's being used in some circles is you will never be woke enough. It doesn't yeah. matter how sensitive you want to be, yeah. you try like and said, understand. I, I can see that looking in, and can, as again, again, here. You're an outsider in this discussion. Yeah. And also yeah. in Europe, it just woke here would be used pejoratively, and it wouldn't be used to, to, to not really anything to do with race. It would be all this sort of gender identity war mm -hmm. that's going on right now. Um, you know, six foot blokes called Brian changing their name to Juanita. And, claiming they're a Mexican princess, right, do you right. know what I mean? Yeah, well, we've got that in the States as well. You know, someone once said, how, how do you define a fundamentalist? And they said, well, a fundamentalist is anyone to the right of where I am. Yeah. A liberal is anyone to the left where I'm, because I'm where I should be, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think some of this discussion as well, those who, who are pressing for greater awareness and racial sensitivity, uh, some people think they've gone too far. Other people, they haven't gone far enough. How is Southern addressing the issue? Like, do they have, like, um, black black professors and uh, who are teaching these subjects and stuff like that? How how are you addressing that issue? Are you not? It's not really a thing that you're addressing. Well, uh, Southern's history, and and this just came out this past year. Dr. Moeller commissioned a study to go back and and really look at the roots of Southern. Uh, some of the founders of Southern Seminary were slaveholders. Yeah. 
and so you you look at the very some uh, of the early church would have been slaves and slaveholders. That, right? That's correct. That's correct. Uh, but you know how the history of the seminary, the whole issue of, uh, for example, Boyce. Uh, your daughter Kezi is going to go to Boyce College. Boyce was a slaveholder. So the question then becomes, okay, what do we do with all of that? Do we take his name down? Do we rename the college? That's being done at, at some institutions. Being done in the UK. Yeah, where uh, you, you remove all vestiges of memory. Dr. Moeller's chosen a different approach to that, which is to acknowledge our past history but to not try and rewrite the past, to, to not try and cover it up, simply say this is what it is, but we're, we're not going to, simply changing the name on this building doesn't change our history. And so there were similar discussions about the Confederate flag, right? There were. That people removed the Confederate flag. There were. So is that the same sort of principle? Uh, is that different? That, that's, that's a little bit different in that there, there are many people in the South, uh, and, and I'm not a Southerner, I grew up in Kansas, I, I was on the Union side of the Civil War, Kansas was, a, right. as opposed to the Confederacy, but some friends in the South see that as, as sort of a, a Southern pride thing, a, a regional sort of thing. They don't view the flag as racist, it's just sort of like their heritage. Uh, just like someone in but Scotland others, might, might others. highlight William Wallace. Yeah. You know. uh, but certainly many African Americans see it as racist, it's a symbol of the Confederacy who was fighting to keep slavery legal. So uh, you've never had the Confederate flag at Southern? No. no well, I, I say that there may have been some students from the South who had a Confederate flag sticker on the back of their pickup okay. truck. Why, why do, I'm, I'm veering off now, um, so we've been on track and now you're veering off? Oh, I just, these things come to me, I just think about them. But um, I don't even have the answers to them, I'm just fascinated as an outsider. Why do some churches feel the need to have flags and pledges of allegiance and weird stuff like that during their services? I've seen some of that, not a lot, but I've definitely yeah. seen. Like, I'm like, this is very... I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm saying it's very weird, very, as a Christian, yeah. to sit there and watch that. Uh, I think some of that goes back to uh, even Jonathan Edwards, America is a city set on a hill. Right. Uh, sort of the manifest destiny that, that America is God's country. So uh, even though we have, as, as part of our founding, a separation of church and state, there, there's always been this element of sort of a civil religion, if you will, uh, you know, tied together. I think you've seen a bit of resurgence of that uh, recently with a lot of the debates and divisions in America with some people having a very different vision for the future of America and people saying, no, we want to go back to, you know, the stars and stripes. So, uh, but uh, I, I'll just tell you, I for one don't promote that. Uh, even though my church is in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, in America, and, and I am an American patriot uh, through and through, uh, the church is for all peoples of all nations. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want someone to feel like they have to be uh, an American to be a member of my church. Yeah, no, listen, I didn't feel like awkward or anything. I just felt it's just just seemed quite bizarre. A lot of that is tradition. I, I know you have no traditions in, in churches in Scotland. No, but we, yeah. we, uh, we, we have we, a few. We have a few traditions as well, Doc. Um, 
Yeah, I'm not attacking the church. I'm just fascinated from a cultural perspective. Um, I was going to ask you, Doc. I was going to ask you something, but I got distracted by there's flags. There's no rush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I had a question for the dog, but I can't remember. This one goes out on cut anyway, so it doesn't really matter, John. People can just say, you know, sometimes I have these things. Right, let me... Um, I'm also going to ask you a question about Doc. It's in my mind. We've done the pure ones, haven't we? We've, done, we've, we've offended enough people on the woke topic that you, you'll get grief either yes, way. Yes, I, I will get grief from both sides on that. Um, me too, but that's cool. Um, the sort of the sort of gender wars that are going on here right now. So, you know, he, she personal pronouns that you can and can't use and stuff. Mm -hmm. And my daughter's coming home from school saying their best friend wants to be referred to as, I think it was they or it or something. They mm -hmm. come around, I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. And all these, no, no he, she, right. changing rooms and, mm -hmm. is, that, is all that affecting se uh, the seminary? No, not, not, not in terms of the seminary. So they can't, the law can't force you to adopt those things. No, and, and again, part of that, uh, because we are a confessional institution and we have a statement of faith that faculty are required to sign, this, right. this is what we teach in accordance with and not contrary to, uh, we have that statement of faith that goes all the way back to the 1850s, but we also have a few additional documents, including the Nashville Statement, which is a statement on human sexuality that uh, we as faculty uh, sign as part of our employment. So not, not, I mean, certainly there are discussions about this and Dr. Moeller in his briefing uh, talks about this continually. What we're starting to see a little bit of a backlash even in some more liberal areas of the country uh, with all of this specifically related to uh, men who identify as women participating in athletic events. Yeah, yeah, we've seen that as well, yeah. Uh, and in They're Maryland... At They're at it, aren't they? Yeah, in Maryland, of all places, you know, it will consider itself to be a very liberal and progressive state. Uh, three of the uh, state champions in, in track and field were men who competed as women. Yeah. And they're stronger, they're faster, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, three of the women who would have won had these men not been here have filed a suit. Hmm. And so it, it's interesting now, in, in this, this isn't in Texas, this is in Maryland, where people are beginning to see the backlash of some of this and the some of the insanity. It, yeah. it will, yeah. Always does, man, yeah, every it, generation. It does. it does. And in fact, I saw a study that uh, just yesterday that showed among young people, among millennials, there, there's, a, there's a bit of a backlash and shift in this because they're starting to see some of the repercussions of this. Yeah, I agree. Um, you, did you, you didn't have a statement or sign a statement. I noticed there was a big debate on the social justice statement was made. Where was that statement? Yes. Um, it was in Kentucky, was it not? No, uh, that, that was in Texas. Is that not Denny and the boys? Is that a different thing I'm thinking about? Uh, I think you're thinking about a different thing. Am I? Because yeah. Al didn't sign it, did he? He did not sign it. Um, and it caused a bit of a Ferrari. Uh, a bit of one, but you have to understand, we have these dust-ups in American evangelicalism on a regular basis. So explain to me the problem with social justice from these, some of these guys. Um, 
the, the problem with social justice from some, again, is where some of these things lead. If you open Pandora's box, what, what's gonna be the end result of this? How would you define social justice? How would I define social yeah, justice yeah, yeah. or how? how or, yeah, how would you define it? Well, uh, you know, just simply looking at the term justice, uh, that, that which is right, that which is good, that which is just, that which is fair, uh, trying to have equality uh, in, in terms of society, the equal justice for all, where many in the broader so-called so social justice movement are, are using uh, things like intersectionality and other things uh, to claim victimhood. And, and again, the fact that we are two white guys, two heterosexual married white guys having a discussion on these issues, we're immediately disqualified from even having an opinion uh, because we, we are absolutely on the bottom of, of all of this. Uh, the, the more- I'd love uh, to get a dude in here to accuse me of white privilege. <laughs> That'd be a fun interview, wouldn't it? Imagine that, John, white privilege. It'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? Well, a ding dong there, uh, all right. But but that's where some of this has gone. Where if if uh, we even tried to have this discussion in some circles, they would just shut us down and say you have nothing to say uh, because you're automatically disqualified from having an opinion on this because you're a part of the uh, victim victimizer class. You're you're you've you've victimized other people because of white privilege. Isn't there just sometimes where you just want to say, shut up, you morons. Tell the truth, Doc. Yes. Well, I don't know why Al doesn't say, do a briefing like, well, all the more in, will all the morons in the world please sit down? Thank you. Yeah. Let's well, get, and, and again, the, the challenge with this uh, is that there are issues. There are issues yeah, of justice. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that to need to be addressed. You have to convince me of that. Yeah. And, and the church has not always been at the forefront of addressing those. So, so we have to acknowledge it's the that as well. Church's job. Uh, you think it's the church's job? Because I don't. Well, the church's job is to make disciples of all the nations. Amen. Uh, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Uh, so that's ultimately the church's job. But dealing with these issues as well in terms of how does the gospel bring, come to bear on these things. And that's the issue here. The issue here is we've got lots of pulpits in Scotland filled with people preaching social justice, preaching... You know, equality, preaching, lots of good stuff, but that's it. They don't preach the gospel. And now, here we are, 50 years later, churches closed down at right. massive rates. You know, the Church of Scotland burying more people than they're baptizing. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're in big trouble. We need to keep the the gospel front and center. The, the, the thing I observe is it seems like you can't, it's either one or the other in lots of this debate. It seems to be. Uh, Although you know we that have, the gospel is primary, right? Gospel always is primary, absolutely. Are you familiar with C. Peter Wagner, church yes. growth? Yes. You know, there, there were many different renditions of Peter Wagner, you know, in terms of yeah. epics of his life and in his area of focus. But I think one of his most helpful books was his book, Church Growth and the Whole Gospel. Right. And he was responding to the criticism that the church growth movement was too focused on evangelism and not enough on, on social action, right. deal, dealing with social ills. And, and he wrote this book, which I, I think was maybe his best book. And 
one of the things that he pointed out in there is if you just look around and do a study, the churches that are focused on evangelism and preaching the gospel are the ones who ultimately do end up doing the most yeah, exactly, good right? in, in the social area. Yeah. Where those that focus on the social area end up not doing as much good because lives aren't being transformed. Yeah and they end up dying, yeah. uh, they're not growing, lives aren't being changed. So uh, I thought that was a pretty persuasive argument the, in his The best book. mercy ministry is a healthy local church. That's why yes. I started 20 Schemes, mm -hmm. right? Simple as that. Mm -hmm. You need to uh, plant more churches um, in, more, in more poor communities. Tell me, why does Southern Seminary feel the need to sell $800 pens? That is a great question. I've never bought one. So. I, every time I go there, I shoplift a few. That pays for a couple of interns. Yes. That's no. not true, by the way. That was a joke. Ow. I will be closing me right down. <laughs> every time I do go there, though, I go and have a photograph next to a pen because people don't believe me. But there's a place that sells snazzy suits. What's it called? Um, it is called Edgar's. 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 You can buy yourself a nice cut suit. It'll probably be expensive, right? Yeah, very expensive. Let's put it this way. I have not ever bought anything in Edwards and Edgar's. Um, the, Easy the, to shoplift there, but Doc, trust me, I walked in that place. I could clean that place out in a heartbeat. <laughs> uh, when you come over in August, I'll make sure there's extra security. <laughs> uh, part of the reason of that is there, there are some, Dr. Muller included, who believe that uh, fine writing instruments are, you know, just, just, just but, something that... But he's heard of an iMac, right? I'm sorry? He's heard of an iMac. Yes, Good. yes. Yeah. But but the whole fountain pen thing. Uh, Don Whitney, one of my colleagues there, yeah. ha has a pen collection. That's what he does. He he buys and sells pens on eBay. He collects pens. You know, everyone has a hobby, and his hobby is collecting fountain pens. But eight hundred bucks for a pen is pretty you know, steep, right? Well, uh, listen, I I use pens that I get for free at banks. How many and other pens do you think they sell a year? I'm going to ask him when I get there. I, I have no idea. Don't you think that's mad? Have you been to Southern? Honestly, oh, have I? Uh, I go to this shop just to stand there and just look like a kid in a sweet shop. They're, they're, they're yeah. Decent looking pens, but you can get a biro here for a couple of quid. Yes. Well, every time I'm with my colleague Don Whitney, I'll pull out my latest pen that I got from a bank and say, how, how much do you think this one's worth? And he'll say 25 cents, just like the last one you showed me. So he didn't <laughs> like that joke? No, we... Wonder, we who buys them? Though? Who goes to a seminary and buys a... Um, that's a good question. You're probably scra scrapping around for. Now it is like Disney World, isn't it, Southern? It is. It's amazing. Yeah, like, like Disney World in in the in the sense of uh, what we do there, we try and do with excellence. Yeah, no, I'm not dissing your yes. institution. I'm just saying. Yeah. When you see, come... some some would use that analogy. Disney World is entertainment and all that. That that's not what Southern's about. Yeah, and that's not what that, I'm talking about. Right. I'm talking about. I just wanted what... to clarify that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the... Listen, you're all PhD, you're all serious guys. No one's looking at Al Mohler and thinking, that, you know, that this, guy's this a clown, is Disney is World, yeah. right, right. But right. what I'm saying is, from our perspective, it just looks so big and clean and pristine and marble halls. I mean, who has a Starbucks in their university campus? Who, do you know what I mean? Pizza Hut and stuff. And mm -hmm. I'm sure some do in London, some of the big ones and that. But when you're coming from here and you go over there and you see a campus, you're like, this is unbelievable. Yeah. Well, one of Dr. Moeller's emphasis, which I appreciate, is that he wants everything to be done with excellence. And so if we're going to do something, he wants it to look nice. Yeah, but how realistic is it, right? Let me, let me we've had a few people we've interviewed over mm -hmm. the years from Southern graduates. Okay. 
and they're usually pretty useless. And what I mean you by that is... You may have interviewed the wrong ones. No, I don't mean theologically. Okay. I mean, they have this view of life and the world, which seems to be at odds. Maybe it's just our ministry as well with, like, talking about, will I have me time, will I have leisure time, will I have this? They, they just have a, a view of life which and ministry, I'm just not sure... Well, I, I think what you're seeing there isn't, I'm, I'm not going to lay that at the, the feet of Southern Seminary, yeah. the blame there. That's okay. America. That, okay. That's an okay. entitlement mentality where yeah. everything is owed to me. Uh, we have students, trust me, who don't have that mentality. Okay, if, you, cool. if you grew up as I did on a farm, yeah. you lose the entitlement mentality pretty quickly. No, you will, though, but I'm just thinking guys who just go there and spend four or five years or whatever, it must be a hard sell. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. uh, to 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 leave that and go to the rigors of working in a podunk, fifty-member church town. I'm you not know, suggesting that guys yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Well, I I think for some it is, but I actually think that was a bigger issue for people in my generation than for some of the younger. Okay. Uh, I asked my daughter when she was in her late twenties. I, I said, Christy, what do you think about me and mom's generation? She said, we think you're just playing church. She said, no, I don't mean you and mom, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. she said, "What we just look around, we see it's all about image, it's all about show. She said, we, we want reality. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We, we want to see real life change. We want genuine community. And, and I see that. You know, I, I've been teaching now for 33 years, last 23 at Southern. I'm actually very excited about this group of young people coming in because they, they've seen all the, the baby boomer trappings, the smoke machines, all of this, and they, they see it for what it is. They, yeah, they want yeah. reality. I'm cool with that. Listen, people keep asking me because my daughter leaves in about three weeks to go to Boyce, whether I'm like tripping out about it and freaking mm -hmm. out. And my answer is no, you should go and see the place. Mm -hmm. heck. She's safer there than probably anywhere on planet Earth. I mean, it's just like, it's an amazing campus, so I think it. it I, I think mm -hmm. it's great. It just it's just interesting to me that um, it's not just Southern, by the way. Like a lot of seminary students that w we interview for Twenty Schemes, just just bizarre. It's just a, their view of the world and how ministry should be. This just seems to be odds. With, maybe it's just odds with the methodology we employ here. I'm not saying our methodology is correct. Well, and and again, uh, trying to be perfectly fair here, I don't think. If a student came in to Southern without that mentality, they would pick it up there. I think if someone... Go on, you stick in. Al will be if, proud of you. Al, I hope you're watching this. Your man's doing a good job for it. If, if someone leaves Southern with an entitlement mentality, odds are they came with an entitlement mentality. And you'll bring the slap down, right, Doc? Uh, I've had some conversations with a few students over the years, yes. Good. Um, how long's that? Five, five, five minutes. Oh wait, I've got. An, there's something you know on the tip of my tongue that was meant to ask you, but it's it's gone from me. I'm I'm quite interested in what you're saying about um, the new generation of like people because mm -hmm. at universities here, like they talk about the millennials, the snowflakes, and all that, and whether that's being at all reflected in some of the. That's a good. Uh, do you know you what the term snowflake? I do. Okay. Yes. Um, are there some that make it to our campus? Probably, but not a lot. I wouldn't classify our students as snowflakes in the sense that they... What's a snowflake, just for people to understand? Well, uh, I think the way it's often defined is people that uh, get their feelings hurt 
at the drop of a hat. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. they're victims of everything. Anything you say to them offends them. They're hypersensitive, uh, very liberal view of the world. Um, unfortunately, social media has really propagated that. Yeah. Uh, because people determine their, you know, young kids today, some determine their self-worth by the number of likes they get on their Instagram posts. Do you have a social media policy, uh, uh, sort of, like, sort of rules you would, because uh, uh, we do it, at Nidra, I have to, with our internet, <laughs> My life's a nightmare with Facebook, but yeah. um, do you have that sort of policy or you a bit more um, free? Th that's a great question. If, if there is one, I'm not aware of it. Oh. Uh, I think many of these things would just fall under the policy of common sense. You would think that, but tell me, as a pastor, half of my pastoral problems, it's people doing idiotic stuff on Facebook and then yes. posting it. Well, people ask me why I'm still on Facebook, and part of the answer to that is it helps me keep up with what's going on yeah. in my church members' lives. Yeah, I got off Facebook. Because yeah. I am too sarcastic and sinful for my own good. Yeah. So it was not a great medium for yeah. me. So. Well, I, I do not post every thought that I have, which is a good thing. Yeah. You might try that sometime. Yeah, I'm working on that, dog. That's a good one. Okay. We do these just to help me you know, ease out, out gently. Absolutely. <laughs> but I like to question, and my, my thoughts are sometimes sarcastic, but I also quite like to, I'm fascinated. See, my first degree was missiology. Okay. culture, and I am fascinated mm -hmm. just by how others view and see the world, right. and particularly American Christianity, I don't know if it's just by dint of the number of Christians, seems to be dominating the conversation on social media. And I've got African friends, when I talk about woke theology with them, they just look completely bemused. Yeah. Like, well, and again, I think some of that are just some of the circles that you run in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I run in every circle. Yeah, no, so. I, I understand. But it, particularly in terms of social media, yeah, yeah, a yeah. lot of the people that would follow you on Twitter or that you might follow. Uh, really, the you know, talking about American Christianity, I, I think one of the biggest cultural changes that we're going seeing right now, and, and Europe has already seen it, Scotland saw it years ago, is that for the first 200 years of its existence, America, or Christians in America had a home field advantage. You know, when, when I was an athlete, we loved playing home games because we would typically get what they called home cooking. If it was a judgment call, the referees would typically give it to the home team mm -hmm. because yeah. they wanted to survive after the match. Uh, and so Christians uh, have been used to having home field advantage where people are cheering for them to succeed. They're, they're supporting them. They yeah, view yeah, pastors yeah. with high regard. They, you know, that's changing rapidly, not, not simply on the coast. That, that's changing even in the Midwest where uh, the day, you know, here's another way to describe it. 50 years ago, if you were a businessman in Dallas, Texas, you wanted to be a member of First Baptist Dallas because that was like a badge of honor. So yeah. when W.A. Criswell was pastor there, he probably had 45 out of 50 of the top business leaders in Dallas as members of his church. Right now in some settings, if you're a business leader and you're a member of a prominent evangelical church, that could derail your whole business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, let so me, that's some of the challenges. Let that, me talk about that then. Chick-fil-A. Yes. You don't like Why Chick is their food so horrible? Why do Christians like them <laughs> and their food sucks, Doc? You, I, I think somehow your taste buds have been damaged you over the me. years. You know me. I'm a chicken man, right? I mean, you I just are live a chicken, chicken man. Yeah. I'm just, I'm You're a Nando's man. Chicken. No, I love Nando's as well. But 
you know, and, and again, for all my American friends, Nando's is a step above Chick-fil-A. I'll for grant the UK, you that. Translate that UK guys, he's talking about Nando's, but we'll call it Nando's. That's quite good. <laughs> Nando's could be the Indian version. My it job. is. Nando's. Right. Okay. Chick-fil-A's good food. Oh, it's not, mate. It was, it's voted for the fifth year in a row the best it's restaurant Probably by the same people who voted for Donald Trump, though, right? So can we trust that? <laughs> can we go there? <laughs> Do you like that little segue? Let me ask you a serious question. I ask this to a lot of my American guests. I hadn't really realized that I came back and forth from America a few years now, so I've been going back and forth to America for about eight years, so I've sort of picked a few things up. Um, in the UK... Christians are more likely left-leaning voters, right. like myself, right. right? So I would call myself a socialist, mm -hmm. right? Which makes a lot of my American friends sweat. Right. Which, but I'm, I'm confused because historically, you know, the NHS, hospital schooling, they were all socialist, if right. you like, Christian inventions, right. right? Right. But in the US, it seems to be Christians, and I'm, and I'm generalizing, but it seems generally true, uh, seem to be more right-leaning. Unless you're black Christians, who seem to be mm -hmm. lean to the no, I, I think that's an accurate. That's a weird thing, right? What's that all about? Well, are you saying it's weird on our end or on your end? See, it's weird on both ends. I just, it, yeah. I just find it fascinating that yeah. American Christians tend to lean to the right, apart from black Christians who lean to the left. Mm -hmm. Even though I discovered a dude called uh, is it Jim Jim Crow? Is that what the, the dude I called? Who I googled with. He was a Democrat. Mm -hmm. So a Democrat brought in pretty restraining well, laws the, against black people. Historically, the Democratic Party was the party of slavery. It was the party that so, uh, opposed the civil rights movement. So you've got to ask yourself, they've done a their PA guy, their, 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 their marketing dude has done a swift, I mean, they have. A, a beautiful job. How have they done that? Well, because when you have the majority of the mainstream press in your hip pocket, and they will write whatever you want them to write. But yeah, basically, black people aren't dumb, though. They're still voting for them for reasons, aren't they? Well, uh, here's the issue. Are, are there issues related to crime and poverty in black communities in America? Absolutely. Yeah. So the question is, what, what are the best answers for that? Yeah. And the Democratic Party has certain answers that they propose. Uh, Republican Party has other answers that they propose. And uh, in a typical election, over 90% of blacks will vote Democrat. Politically, do you, in terms of the seminary, do you just, like, so in my church, for instance, mm -hmm. we had a, a vote on America, uh, American. Brexit? <laughs> on No, Brexit's a different issue, on Scottish independence. Okay. And so I'm, I'm pro. Scottish independence. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm, I'm from the Republic of Ireland, right? I'm pro. Right. Uh, my wife, who's English, was mm -hmm. pro the Union. Mm -hmm. My church was pretty split on this, mm -hmm. and it did get tense. And so, from the front, I said, because we don't talk, we don't talk right. politics from the front. Right. And some people don't agree with that, but that's yeah. Well, I agree uh, with that. Yeah. From the front, I said, right, right, there'll be no talk in right. this church. That when the vote happens, remember this. I said, when the vote happens. The vote happens. If we get independence, praise the Lord, our, mes our message is still the same. If we lose, praise the Lord, our message is still the same. We lost, I was gutted, but, but, but I moved on. Do you have those sort of rules? Because politics, like the UK right now, is very divided in the States. Do you oh, have, unbelievably divided. Do you divided. say, in the, do, is there a rule in the college that says, look, 
maybe you're, I don't want to ask what you are, a Republican or maybe you're a Democrat, are you told specifically you cannot propagate those views in the classroom? Or uh, no, and, and again, some of this comes back to Dr. Mueller's leadership style. He's not a micromanager. Yeah. You know, he his philosophy of leadership, I think, can be summed up, hire good people and let them do their job. But he doesn't align himself, or he may well do, with a particular... No, no he doesn't, which I think is very wise, and nor do I in my local church. Yeah. Mark Dever is the same. He doesn't... You, yeah. I wouldn't know which way he voted. Yeah. And, and again, part of that is because uh, I'm seeking to build the kingdom of God, not, not the kingdom of America. And I know, but some I'm of my friends say you should educate your people on how to vote. What do you think about well, that? Well, th th there's a difference in if, if educating them in how to vote is saying you have to vote this way. I do talk about moral issues. Uh, abortion is, is a moral scourge on America. Yeah. Over 63 million babies killed in America. So that, that is a moral issue. That, but you that have candidates who are anti-abortion. In the UK, we don't. Every candidate is pro-abortion. So yeah. we don't have any choices. Well, in America, if you see the, the 20 Democrats that are running for president right now, all of them are pro-abortion up until the moment of birth. So why do the black community vote for them? That's a good question. But why do, do you think that people who vote for Trump are racists? Why do I think that? No, do you think? Because there's, oh. there's, there's a, I mean, uh, obviously some uh, people who vote for Donald are. Trump are racist, right? Absolutely. Uh, I, I think there were others, and, and again... But why you know, do white evangelicals vote in high numbers for him? Well, I, I think a lot of them adopted the lesser of two evils sort of policy. If your option is Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, and you look at their agendas, their platforms, what they would do as commander-in-chief, as, as leader of the country. Uh, I think many evangelicals held their nose and voted for Donald but Trump. But why didn't black evangelicals do the same? I'm, I'm trying to understand it. Well, actually, I, I think some did. Uh, I think Trump actually got higher numbers than, than what some previous candidates have. Uh, but. Uh, Yes, the, the mainstream press has tried to attach the racist label uh, to Donald Trump because that fits in with their agenda. He doesn't help himself sometimes, though, does he? He does not. Uh, if someone were able to get his cell phone and disable Twitter, I, I think things would be much better. And we're going to leave that there. People probably think that about my phone and disable Twitter, Doc, to be fair to them. John, are we good? Great, good job, guys. Thank you very much. You haven't got into any trouble there, have you? Oh, maybe a bit. You defended the owl. <laughs> I'll allow